Good morning. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Who is that? <laughs> ben, good morning. Oh, so friends, it is the Sunday after Easter. The high mark of the church year. <laughs> the choir was just all laughing in the other service about, about this. We did truly have a beautiful week of worship during Holy Week, beginning with Palm Sunday and noon worship services on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And we had a Monday, Thursday foot washing and communion service. And we gathered together on Friday night and we had six services on Easter Sunday morning. Life has been very full around this place. And there is a blogger who describes what we might be feeling at this moment uh, using the acronym PELS. He said we might be experiencing a post-Easter letdown syndrome. In addition to the excitement and the energy of Easter, we have also in the past two weeks lost people precious to us. A lot has been happening within this community it would really make sense if we were feeling some sort of post-Easter letdown. I wonder if that could be what the early disciples were feeling after the resurrection. Now that the resurrection is over, what is the community to do? Maybe they are experiencing some, some portion of a post-resurrection blues. It has all for them been a lot to absorb, the ending of Jesus' life. Which brings us to today's scripture. I, I'm going to read for us a story that you will find only at the very end of John's gospel. It is one of the resurrection appearances. When Peter, all of a sudden, after the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, when all of a sudden Peter says, I'm going fishing. God's word for us from John 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were seven disciples, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. 
Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. God's word for us. Would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts, may it all be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It has been quite a roller coaster ride. What an extraordinary three-year journey the disciples have been on with Jesus. They have risked their lives and lived, jar, lived large and eagerly every morning gotten up to go and to spend time with Jesus. It was a very focused mission. And then came the awful last week of Jesus' life. The wounds of that week are still so very fresh. There was the prediction of a betrayal, and then they had to endure the awful, excruciating death of their friend and teacher on a cross. The last thing they expected was a resurrection. Despite Jesus periodically making some odd statements and odd teaching about suffering and dying and rising again. But what the disciples thought was irreversible, God has reversed. Jesus is alive. It has all been so very amazing, but also for those first disciples, a bit disorienting. The disciples have left Jerusalem. They've returned to Galilee when all of a sudden Peter decides it's time to go fishing. Now, who could blame them for going fishing? They are not avoiding life. Remember that fishing is the vocation for many of these men. And the disciples still need to eat. Plus, it probably felt good, don't you think, to do something ordinary. It was a failed fishing trip. Left to their own devices, the disciples catch zero fish. They are still learning that apart from Jesus, they can do nothing. However, failure is a wonderful backdrop for miracles and for grace and for growth. Failure is sometimes good for us. A voice cuts through the fog from the shore. Good morning, what did you catch? The disciples say, nothing. The man on the beach recommends that they make a change. Move the net from where you think it should be and put it where I tell you. As soon as they do that, there is an abundance of a catch. And that abundant catch, that miraculous abundant catch, reveals to the disciples immediately that it is the Lord. John, just as it was at the scene of the empty tomb, the beloved disciple, he is the one who has quick insight and Peter quick action. So the disciple, the beloved disciple John, he notices it's Jesus. He says to Peter, it is the Lord. And then you have this hilarious scene of Peter all of a sudden jumping up and throwing some sort of, of robe or outer garment around himself, throwing himself into the water to get to Jesus as fast as he can. 
as Peter ran to the shore and the other disciples finally joined him, it's mentioned that there is a charcoal fire burning. Now this word charcoal there that, that's in our text today, it's only used two times throughout the, the whole New Testament. The first time being in this story, the other time being a fire that happened not too long ago on the night when Jesus was betrayed and Peter warmed himself by a charcoal fire, denying Jesus three times in order to save his own skin. You know, smells have so much memory recall for us. They trigger a lot of memories. Don't you wonder, as Peter sat on the beach that morning for breakfast, as he smelled that charcoal fire, if he was transported back to that night pretty recently when he had denied Jesus. And don't you wonder, as he smelled that smell and remembered his failure, if he wondered if Jesus would ever use him again after what he had done. But instead of a disappointment speech, what comes out of Jesus' mouth? Come and have breakfast. Come and be with me. Come and meet with me. Come and, and share a meal with me. There's a hot breakfast waiting for you. And in fact, not only do I want you to come and eat what I've prepared, but grab what you have caught and bring it to the fire and let's put it all together. Jesus invites them to add what they have, which is going to be a model for our lives of discipleship. Jesus nourishes them. He serves them and helps them to adjust to a new situation as they are still trying to come to grips with the resurrection. This breakfast story, friends, it has so many important and wonderful truths, a, a few being that Jesus continues to show up and that we are to depend upon Jesus and that when Jesus is involved, there is an abundance of gifts. But I believe at the very heart and core of this story of the breakfast, that first Easter brunch on the beach, is the theme of restoration. For at the end of Jesus' life, the disciples completely blow it. Jesus reaches out to those who fail him and he makes it right between him and them. We see here a, a God who is a God of second chances and a God who restores and gives people a fresh start. I'd like to share a legendary story from the athletic conference that I am most familiar with, the SEC. Punt Bama Punt is the nickname of one of the most famous college rivalry games between the University of Alabama and my alma mater, Auburn University. That game is commonly referred to as the Iron Bowl. On December 2nd, 1972, the game was held in Birmingham, Alabama. Alabama was the number two team in the country. They were coached by Bear Bryant. They were 10-0 and 0 as they entered this game. Alabama came into the game with, as a 16-point favorite, and three and a half quarters into the game, it appeared that that prediction was spot on as the score was 16-0. to zero. Auburn 
kicked a field goal, making the score 16-3. to But then the unimaginable happened. In a nutshell, Alabama punter Greg Gant, on two consecutive drives, had two punts blocked by the same defensive lineman, and those two punts were both returned for a touchdown. In the end, the score was 17-16 and a loss to Auburn for Alabama. In 2010, ESPN ranked this game as the eighth most painful outcome in college football history. (laughs) Painful if you are an Alabama fan. Alabama punter Greg Gant, he led the SEC for three years in punting. He went on to punt for the New York Jets, but for many, he is most remembered for having two punts blocked in a loss to Auburn. Greg Gant actually died just a few years ago after a prolonged illness at the age of 59. The first paragraph in his obituary, released by the AP News to the Boston Globe and to the New York Times, bears witness to the reality that Gant has died and that he was probably best known for two blocked punts. Probably best known, in other words, for failure. Failure shapes all of our lives. And sometimes failure can be more memorable than our successes. Peter is one whose life was shaped by failure. Out of all of the disciples, Peter's failures are the ones most noted. Peter was a leader among Jesus' disciples. He is a part of the innermost circle of friends. He leaves everything behind in order to follow Jesus along with his brother Andrew. And he is the one who will understand and confess Jesus as Lord and Messiah. But... He often speaks without thinking. He tends to be brash and impulsive, and he is never at a loss for words. When Jesus teaches them that the Son of Man will suffer and die, Peter protests, which causes Jesus to seriously reprimand him. He's one of three who will sleep through a very critical night in Jesus' life at the Garden of Gethsemane, and despite Peter's confidence that he will never, ever betray Jesus. The Gospels record for all posterity at the end the abandonment of Jesus by all the disciples and most notably by Peter. Yes, Peter is known for his failures, but Peter is also known because of how God will use him in a most amazing way. You can read about that by continuing to read in John 21 and by reading the beginning of the book of Acts in the early church. Peter fails, but God calls him, believes in him, forgives him, is growing him, changing him, picks him up and dusts him off when he is devastated by his failure and will use him. And this is God's word for us this morning, brothers and sisters. Yes, we have had times of failure. Some of us are knee-deep in it right now. Maybe you have failed to keep a promise. Maybe you are failing to accomplish all that you thought God would do in and through you. 
Maybe you have caved under pressure and are failing morally or ethically. Maybe you are chronically failing to love and to forgive, especially those closest to you. Maybe you recently denied Christ by disregarding God's will. Hear what God says to you. God calls you. God believes in you. God forgives you. God loves you. God is growing you and changing you. And God will pick you up and dust you off when you are devastated by your failure. And God will use you, sometimes because of and other times in spite of failure. In God's eyes, what is most precious and memorable about us is not our failure. Jesus does not give up on his disciples no matter how great their failures. Friends, the resurrection, it assures us of Jesus' worth and value. It was only Jesus who could die a saving death on a cross, a saving, self-giving, loving death on a cross for all creation. Nobody but Jesus could do that. So we see Jesus' worth and value so clearly in the crucifixion and in the resurrection. This story at the beach gives us a glimpse of our value and worth because we have such worth and value in God's eyes not only those first disciples who are forgiven but but we as well remarkably he wants to partner with us how will Jesus ministry continue to unfold in his absence the crazy and remarkable thing is that it has always been God's plans to leave the keys of the kingdom into our fumbling hands Believe it or not, we are the main way that now the now risen Lord wants to reach the world. He is depending on us. He needs us. So he invites us to bring what we have caught and to take it and put it on the fire on the beach. He invites us to take who we are and what we have and to add it to Jesus' mission. So we bring our spiritual gifts and our skills and our heart and our passions and our abilities and our personalities and our experiences, our relationships, our vocations, the good and the bad and the ugly. We bring it all and we give it to Jesus for a little is a lot in Jesus' hands. And he uses it. He gives the disciples something to do to make a difference in God's world. At the start of that fishing trip, it seemed that the world was as it had always been. Nothing had changed. The disciples maybe had some sort of post-resurrection blues. They take those feelings into the boat. But then they encounter Jesus. They feast and they celebrate once again. And then it all begins to sink in. The world may seem like it has not changed, but the disciples are different. They have changed because they have encountered the risen Jesus Christ. 
They know now that they will have an abundance of resources from which to draw from. But the world would stay the same unless the disciples share that abundance, which is what is now asked of us, that we share the abundance that we have been given to God's world. What do we do now that the resurrection is past? That is the question that we will continue to ask week after month after year as we do this thing called life together, journeying side by side as a community of faith, wrestling with that question, desiring to be faithful with that question, question, partnering with Jesus, giving to Jesus ourselves for the glory of God and for the mission and good of God's world. Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh, King Jesus, how grateful we are for the great news of Easter. We accept your gift of grace and forgiveness. God, show us where we need to extend it to another. Lord, thank you for feeding us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us important work to do. And God, we thank you that this is no ordinary life that you have called us to. That because of Jesus, we are not the same. We are different. And God, would you give us the grace to live into that and to give ourselves away for the blessing and benefit of your world. Send us from this place changed and new, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.